This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Adjust Your Tracking is brought to you by the Playlist Podcast Network. All our episodes and those from our other shows can be found at theplaylist.net. So, uh, so Joe, we're gonna we're, we'll probably be getting jazzy here today. We're gonna be moving through several movies. Um, several movies definitely worth talking about, uh, getting excited about, and seeking out. I would say. But um, you know, mm-hmm. where 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 do you? See? I mean, we've been gone. We've uh, we've been absent from the mic for about a month. So forgive our absence. Uh, uh, but we're back. And uh, what what you know? Where, where are we going to dive in? Where are we going to start talking today? Well, I think it's you know our jazziest episodes are probably talking about like the state of of movie going culture, like the state of the industry is usually the talks we're having, and I don't think this is like an, a, another official installment of that. But we're we're definitely going to be talking about um, indie distributors and um the their place in the sort of theatrical world, especially with the four titles we'll be discussing, which uh, include A two fours, both American Honey and moonlight and then also christine antonio campos new film and finally the handmaiden park chan wilk's new movie that's being put out by uh amazon studios and so yeah we we fucked up because we uh we (laughs) waited so long to record that like now we've got like a, a sort of wobbly stack of of titles we have to just it's like when it rains it pours like that's what's happening was we like we bemoan how how few and far between great movies have been this year and and over like the past couple of years, but it's just like fall is usually our time mm. time down here, and uh, that's uh, that's that's happening. We have we have four four movies that I think like even if we have qualms with them, they're uh, they're films to be reckoned with, and they're 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 motherfuckers, you know. <laughs> that's a good way Once. to group. And group. so I I remember texting you. Um, if you want to just dive right in, uh, that like, I, I'm worried that like me, me personally, and I think maybe both of us might be considered shills for, uh, <laughs> a two four, which is a, a distributor of like oftentimes some of our favorite films of the year. Oh, yeah. And luckily I have films, uh, that they've put out that I don't, I don't care for, but there are always films that like, they like, it's just like a thorn in my side that I still have to reconcile with. Like I, I still need to go back and watch under the skin for a second time, which I haven't given it, you know, yes, you do. yet. And so like, even when they're, they're films that like I, I have a problem with, they're still, I cannot dismiss them. Like the witch didn't really like, but it's still like, yeah, but that movie that it's a movie of incredible skill and craft. And for me to dismiss that would be really, like careless on my part and like irresponsible critically because it's just like, no, oh, the movie was like exceptionally well-made any problems I have with that have nothing to do with the craft that went into it. So a two four has a, has a stamp of like quality mm. and they're, they're a true like curatorial voice in the, in the film world. And they are one of the independent studios, independent in air quotes again, because I think there's probably a good deal of money behind <laughs> But I mean, that's that's this is the game that we're watching. You know, it's a, a lot of money switching hands. But like a two four is like it's a behemoth of like independent distributing, and uh, they they really like are are all about putting out films theatrically. They find these filmmakers like these these sort of like visionary films, and they deserve to be put in the theaters. And a lot of times, like these these films will do well enough like they'll have an ex machina one year or the lobster this year yeah and like that will hopefully you know like kind of steady steady everything so that like the rest of the fleet can come out and like they can have enough of a chance but um 
American Honey now has been out for it's Andrea Arnold's new film, uh, director of Fish Tank, probably most notably mm-hmm. her first film, Red Road, which is she, awesome. I recently caught up with. I really yeah. like that movie. Yeah, that was that was a, a PIF selection that I saw many many years ago. Ooh, nice. And uh, um, and so this is her new movie, and it's a it's sprawling, huge, like two hour forty five minute movie, American Honey with this like great sort of mostly um, unprofessional ensemble of like young people who are all like fascinating, like to, to watch interact. And it's this movie that like is, is big and it's visionary and it, it a two four knows that it deserves the big screen, just like they, they sort of do with all of their films and it, it's come out and it got like, a, you know, enough buzz off. It's like, you know, showings at con and fantastic fest and stuff like that. But like, I don't think it's doing very well. Am I wrong? No, you're not. It's it's not. And I mean, is there much of a surprise when it's a near three hour movie with, um, you know, do people, uh, do people know that going in? God, they, that's a good question. I would I would think that this is a movie that most people just don't even know about. So yeah, if they've okay. if so, they've made it to the theater, I think they've read enough about it. I'd say most of the audience probably is aware they're in for a long movie. But that's a good question. Um, so with with this movie's trailer, which you and I were on board ahead of time, so we're not a good barometer for the public's interest in a movie like this. Because like we we appreciate Andrea Arnold, we want to see what she does next. We've heard like enough. Enough about the heat from this movie that it's like, oh, this is like this is a really good movie. You should really pay attention to it. Shia LaBeouf is really good in it. Huh? Whoa! He's really he's pulled out of the nosedive of his personal crisis to (laughs) like turn in a Shia LaBeouf is a good actor. I'm not gonna. He is he is good in this movie. (laughs) He's great in this movie. Yeah. But like so, so you take a trailer, which again we're not a good barometer for the public's interest in a movie like this. And I think like a friend of mine watched it. And like his reaction, smart guy, super into film. He was like, eh, not for me. And I was like, well, why not for you? Like, it's gorgeously shot clearly from the footage in the trailer. Is it just that like, it's not clear enough what the movie's about? And if that's the case, there are sometimes movies where you can watch a trailer, not have any idea what it's about, but you're still, you're still on board. Like The Handmaiden, that's another movie we're going to be discussing today. It's a... They, it has a trailer that's terse. It's like one minute and it's, it's so, so good. It's so evocative and yeah. it pops and it's crazy. And it's just so like kinetically alive. And you're just like, I don't know what this is about, but I'm in. And so like with American honey, I just think that like, like so many things people need to be a hundred percent certain what it is or else they're not going to try, especially if they do have a hint that it's two hours and 45 minutes, which in all honesty I didn't really notice. Like I was happy to be in the world of that movie for as long as it lasted because it had an attentiveness. It had a sensitivity and a sense of aliveness that you don't get anymore. Yeah. Just like we don't, we don't need to belabor the point that movies are sort of deadeningly the same and the experience is becoming more and more amusement parked to the point where it's just like there, there is no sense of surprise anymore. And so for a movie like this to like to uh, be about this this girl who falls upon this like pack of young people who are selling fake magazine subscriptions throughout America, you get this glimpse into this America that's like, you know, you you most likely wouldn't see, you know, and it like it has this ease and this this like this sort of like lyrical quality and this poetry to it sort of like sunny eyed afternoons that has the pulse of like sometimes menace, sometimes like real wonder and sometimes like heartbreak. It's got this just like true coming of age quality. Yeah. Which I think a two four, this might be the year a two four is just all about the coming of age <laughs> yeah. like, with it and moonlight. And then at the end of the year, they've got Mike Mills' new movie, 20th Century Women, which is just like it's it's one of the most sort of hilarious and gut punchy coming of age movies you could watch. But anyway, I mean, so, you could even argue The Witch is a coming of age movie uh, at, at the end. Uh, <laughs> green Room kind of they, they come of age, they come of death. But, um, <laughs> they do come of. Yes. Yes. But yes. <clears throat> uh, but so. So, yeah. So here's this movie that just it if, if you allow yourself to get lost in it. It's 
it's an incredible ride. You know, it's just like these these moments that you kind of that are hard to capture in a time sensitive art me like a, a, a time sensitive medium like film. It's hard to capture what it feels like to wait for someone to look at you mm. the way this movie does. Because it's about this like girl latching on to this charismatic figure in this group. And so there's a there's this moment where she's just trying to catch his eye. And it's like it's this like big kind of scene inside a packed van, which mm. you like you're living inside that van for a lot of the movie. And the movie comes to life when the like the whole group bursts into song. But it's just like these moments that like you're you just you feel the yearning that you felt when you were like that age, you know, yeah. and you're and all that mattered was like a meaningful glance between two people, the like, being you and the person you're waiting to look at you. Yeah. It's visceral it's the like, way this movie makes you feel the feeling of youth, of youthfulness, you know, the like yeah. the the way there are consequences, but yet you feel like you're kind of able to get away with anything there, This movie just yeah. captures that so strongly. Yeah. And it, it doesn't like, it doesn't stay on the sort of, the the course of traditional coming of age movies like she there's there's consequence to what what happens in the movie but not in any sort of moralizing way you know like there's it's just it's it's not a sort of cut and dry movie but like what it what it is 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 so gorgeous and so like alive and like i was so grateful just to be in the dark with it for for it's like you know the exhaustingly long length you know (laughs) yeah it's a good way to put it man like that's what makes it such a great theatrical movie and you know a little sad and worth bemoaning the fact that it yeah it hasn't really caught on in terms of any kind of real box office uh in its theatrical run is that it is a fun movie to just get lost in and like i love that um it's it's the rare kind of film where it's very it feels very clear that like there's a life going on before the story starts and after it's not just set within the near three hour runtime and that's it there is um it's a sort of beautiful feeling by the end that like oh yeah this story is far from over but i loved having this like small window of time with uh you know this the lead character but also this group of people of like faces you rarely see in movies if ever um there's another element to this movie where it's like i don't know how Andrea Arnold did it and the crew and the cast is like this movie sounds like a cliched bad indie movie if you try to describe it and like even saying like oh yeah there's it's a road trip movie and there's a lot of scenes just set in a van with kids like singing music and smoking weed and drinking like all of it sounds cliched but there's just nothing uh really overly familiar in the way this movie is made. I mean, this movie has insert shots, like so many insert shots of like bugs and bees and like, you know, uh, just, just these, like these moments that are like moments within the, the sort of vignettes that the movie plays out in. It's, um, I don't know. It's got this like Russian doll effect to it where there's just all like, sometimes I can just love the series of little insert shots that I'm referring to, but also, you know, following this trajectory of a, of a character who you don't often see portrayed and getting a chance to lead a movie. Um, it's, it is alive. That's, that's the thing about this movie. It's got blood pumping through its veins. And, uh, that was clear to me from the beginning of this movie, even though, you know, if I wanted to be reductive, I could be like, Oh, it's like Terrence Malick with Harmony Kareen. You know, this is, (laughs) this is gummo or kids, but done in a more ethereal um, sensual sort of style that Andrea Arnold is really is really good at. That's what she does. Um, but uh, you can't really reduce this movie to just a boilerplate sort of synopsis or something. It's it's hard to get people on your wavelength or to to venture out and see a movie like this um, because it's hard to it is hard to synopsize. It's hard to get someone on board. So yeah, it's um, hard to. It, there's a there isn't like the hard sell of it, and it's just like what makes it so refreshing is what makes it so hard to sort of like sell to people. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, and and you know, the eight the other A two four movie we're gonna talk about, Moonlight, is I'd say much a much easier sell, but not really. You know, compared to American Honey, sure, but um, I just think it's another shorter. 
Yeah, it's shorter. Yeah, much shorter. Um, yet feels like it's a grander story. It's it's crazy what this movie does with uh, under two hour runtime. Um, yeah, and also a whole host of familiar elements. To me, I think that Moonlight is for me the best example of a movie this year that is on the surface made up of a bunch of familiar elements. There's like urban crime uh, elements to it. There's uh, a drug addiction narrative. There's a coming of age story. There's a coming out story involved in it, Uh but none of it is done in a stereotypical or familiar way. Um, I was as much as I loved American honey. uh, Moonlight is the one that like, I cannot wait to see again. And I just, I want to soak it all up again and just see the quiet, subtle beauty again of this movie. I, I just think moonlight is like a, a just, I can see why people are going nuts for it since it's been premiering um, a couple months ago. Uh, it's, it's great. So uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you think about it? There's something about how, where it drops you into. And it's similar with Andrea Arnold, like Barry Jenkins. This is his second film uh, after medicine for melancholy, mm-hmm. which I have yet to see, but I now am definitely going to check for since I've seen his second film, which I, I guess is like uh, a huge leap forward in terms of like technique. It is. Yeah. You, you've seen medicine for melancholy. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. It's on Netflix actually. So super easy to find. And um, yeah, it's a very simple, um, the lo-fi like the early digital video camera aesthetic but um m- m- mumblecore era looking yep. digital video yeah okay. absolutely it, it's got that look but uh it holds up as a really nice compact sort of you know set over a course of 24 hours not even um just a little walking and talking movie a sort of link esque story but very much from a different perspective a different person's experience and um you know, that's what kind of makes that movie come to life. But, oh, my gosh, uh, watching Moonlight is like, holy cow. I, I don't even know a good analogy to say the leap forward he's taken, but it's like it's crazy. You know, and I'm sure it's more than just budget because it's been eight years since Barry Jenkins made Medicine for Melancholy. So a lot of what people are writing about interviewing and asking him about is like, what took so long? You know, it must be that dreaded question uh, yeah. for, for a filmmaker is <laughs> like what do you got coming up? And, um, he just sort of worked on scripts. Um, he had this really crazy idea. I don't know if you read about it for a Stevie wonder movie where he could time travel with a Moog synthesizer sounded insane. Um, but it never got off the ground, you know, shocker with, if that's what it was about, like, how do you sell that movie to people? Um, but yeah, he's, he's, just kind of been at it and doing his own thing. I I've heard that he works sometimes as a programmer for film festivals, Barry Jenkins. So he's like really wrapped up in, in the world of cinema, but yeah, it's just taken him this long to, to make his next movie. And um, it's also worth noting that a two four, this is their first movie that they actually produced. They, they, okay. they helped yeah, fun. That's, yeah. That's, that's a, and, interesting. Cause it's just it like, is. they're, they're, obviously when I said curatorial, they're good at picking movies, but like for them to sort of shepherd a film into existence, like it's, it's definitely got to have like a certain, you know, like visible quality on, on the page of the screenplay that they're looking at. And there has to be something identifiable in the voice of the filmmaker. They're sort of like they're bringing into the fold. If the, if the film isn't made and therefore can't speak for itself, they have to have a certain trust because they they uphold like a, a standard of quality that's like you know pretty exceptional since like we we love most of their stuff and like with moonlight it uh it's it's one of like this is, you know this is really cheap to say but it's like it's <laughs> cinematic like yeah. it's so immersive so so beautifully shot and same with like Andrea Arnold's work like it the the importance of like an exchange between like two people looking at each other like and especially with Moonlight and the way Barry Jenkins captures like a character looking right at you yeah. like he's looking directly into the camera and we're following this sort of like painfully shy child as like in the first in, in the first section of the film he he gets discovered um, after he's been been like tormented by bullies, like in this sort of drug hole by this like by this drug dealer who's who has a heart of gold, luckily, and uh, <laughs> sort of takes him under his wing, and uh, and so you're you're watching this sort of like painfully shy child come out of himself and eventually come out by the end of the movie, and so it's just like these sections of his life is told in three parts, and like watching 
what he sees with like either his mother silently screaming like directly into the camera and then cutting back and he's looking directly at you directly into the camera. It's so fucking effective. And it was like looking at the, the face of the, the adult version of the, the person he's harbored feelings for like most of his life, this kid he's grew, he's grown up with and he has this like, ambiguous which i don't want to spoil too much because like what what like you know is discovered in this movie is so genuine and so just like so touching you know and so Mm. just like and so gorgeously captured but like when you see (laughs) that character that he's he's so attached to and never had anything kind of come to fruition with and he's got all this sort of like unrequited love for when he looks directly at you it's fucking devastating oh man you know and it's just like you feel like oh this is like that's the look of someone in love you know and Mm -hmm. it's just like and it's a man staring at me i've never experienced that but it's just (laughs) like it was that's the that's the power of film you know and that's the power of storytelling and that's the power of like acting which all synergize in this film that's so immersive. And I remember like, as it reaches the third section, which is like the adulthood, the sort of young adulthood of this character we've been following the whole movie. I had the same thing where I was like, how did they pack this much in? And I can't believe this movie is almost over. You I know? know. Yeah. I didn't want it to end when I knew it was happening. You know, it's this movie, you know, it really reaches a beautiful sort of closing moment. You know, it, it just, it like sort of feels effortless because it's like you've been guided so perfectly through the story, you know, through this three part narrative, it all works and sings together with each prior chapter. And, um, visually there's all these callbacks. Yeah. Um, it's, I didn't want this movie to end. And I felt like I had to sit there in my seat while the credits rolled and really just consider it and, and reckon with it instead of just getting up that, you know, that impulse to be like, Oh, credits are up time to go. I had to like, just think, just sit in it for a little bit. I couldn't just get up and go. Yeah. Um, and it's another reason I want to go back and see this movie is like, how did he do that exactly? Because there's it, it, this movie is like, as you said, it's set in these three different parts of this character's life. So it's three different actors. It's not like the boyhood style of, you know, same actor through time. Yeah. Um, but it does have a similar trajectory of important moments through a life. Um, uh, but how did he do this? How did Barry Jenkins like, and his crew, like it's, it's crazy. Uh, it, and if nothing else, it just announces to me like it, him as a, I mean, he might've really stepped up as a major voice now to pay attention to. I think, I think the time is really right right now for, for a movie like Moonlight, um, you know, we we haven't talked about something like The Birth of a Nation, the Nate Parker movie that, you know, sadly has also sort of had its little whimper of a release and it's not doing what they thought, you know, uh, 10 months ago, that was going to be one of the big movies of this fall season, The Birth of a Nation, um, because I think audiences and Hollywood is like trying slowly to get around to being like, we need to tell more stories by black filmmakers with black right. actors, you know, more give more opportunities to people of color to make film and be involved in that. Um, and, you know, controversy aside for the birth of a nation, like I, I can I, I think honestly, Moonlight's going to really take that mantle now and already kind of has in terms of being a black film that people are just like really rallying around. And for good reason, because it's the better film. It's a, it is more cinematic and it really, it deserves that attention. And I, I really hope it, it leads to some more great things for, for Jenkins and everybody else in it. It's, it's such a powerful film. There's a, I was, I got to see, uh, Barry Jenkins and some of the cast talk after the movie. And, uh, just the level of like it, I, I think I audibly was like, wow. Cause he was talking about like a, a scene as a sort of like escalating to this like climactic point in the second section, which is like the adolescence of the character. There's this like big climactic moment and the percussion of this, the score mm. was uh, like, he took elements from the, 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 the sound design, like, him giving like dap to like the his friend so it's like the sound of the the handshake was like replicated as like a snap right. and then started layering in like the the sound of his mom saying something so it was like a sh- 
and so it like all sort of crescendoed mm. and so that level of attention to detail and craft let's see like i think like even if you i wasn't aware of that i wasn't putting together that that's what was happening but like you know that you're in the hands of somebody capably taking you through this immersive and overwhelming experience and it like and it deserves it deserves to be like in the big on the biggest screen possible. Luckily, here it's opening uh, Friday uh, in Los Angeles, and it's mm. playing in the Cinerama Dome. And it's oh, just, man. I think that they have faith, both like the the ArcLight is putting it on, and A24 that this is going to be big enough that it it sort of warrants that. And so, like, I'm I'm excited, and it like it its level of like looking at a scene where people are talking. And and in like imbuing it with this sense of urgency, like reminded me of like Richard Linklater's work. You said Boyhood, but I started to think about like especially in the last section where it's just the two of them talking. Um, it reminded me of the before movies. Yeah, and like I think probably Medicine for Melancholy is like a closer pro like you know counter to the before movies because it's like literally a man and woman walking around talking about stuff. The right. whole film. It is. It is. Yeah. But like that, that sense of like immediacy and importance hanging on every word felt like the last two before movies. And it, it caused me to go back and rewatch them. Oh, nice. Nice. I'm assuming they both held yeah. up quite nicely. <laughs> they did. I hadn't seen before sunrise in quite a while, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I urge anybody who, who takes our recommendation to, to see moonlight, as soon as you can, because I know it doesn't open in Portland until uh, like November 4th. Yeah, November 4th. Right? We're, we're getting it exclusively at Cinema 21, so I'm really hoping it's going to be one of in our big... big... Oh, yeah. 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 All right, so you, you have options to see it on big, big screens, and it, it is very deserving of that. And I, I think that if we could make... If we can give A24 another hit to help it buoy their 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 output, like, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a big thing that this is a movie that they actually got behind from the beginning and the ground up because if they do have success with it, it's only going to obviously, yeah, better their chances to do it again. And while we do feel like shills for them a lot, it's it's easy to feel that way. I mean, my favorite movies, some of my favorite movies this year, The Lobster, Green Room, The Witch, um, you know, The Witch, not so much for you, but we both love Green Room. The Lobster's great. Uh, you know, Moonlight is another and yeah, it's crazy. The output, uh, from, from this company and, you know, they are sort of the, 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 the Titans right now of the like indie distribution yeah. model. They've figured something out and, uh, it's impressive and I just hope they can keep doing it. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely keeps me excited to, to go to the movies is knowing they've got projects coming out, whatever they do. It's like, it's like, uh, something you have to pay attention to. So yeah. Um, Moonlight is just like, I'm so crazy excited to see this movie again. Um, it's great. Uh, so if we could pivot, here's a movie that I'm I'm a little concerned. <gasps> mm. I'm concerned about it because it's uh, it too is a I think a leap forward in terms of, of filmmaking mm. from like one film to the next. As uh, Antonio Campos' new film, Christine. Mm. Um, so he his last film was Simon Killer, which we were both big fans of. Oh yeah. However probably an alienating movie to a lot of people <laughs> to say like, the least. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a kind of suffocating quality. You're sort of, it's one of those movies where it's aligning you with a character that you would most likely despise in real life, like kind of a sociopathic character moving his way through Europe, like kind of felt like a, a, a sort of Brett Easton Ellisy type experience, mm -hmm. you know, like watching Simon killer. Like it was, if Brett Easton Ellis was in a profoundly bad mood, he may have created something like Simon killer. <laughs> um, I don't know when he's in a good mood. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, According to his podcast, never. <laughs> yeah. He seems exceptionally cranky, but so, so with Christine, uh, we have this, it's based on a true story. So it's, it's set in a period set in the 1970s. So already, that's that's a lot to take on for a filmmaker. It's a, like this attention to detail. It's this whole world you have to build from the ground up. He's working with an ensemble because it's about it's based on a true story about a newscaster named Christine Chubbuck, who is like notoriously, you know, someone who took her own life on the air 
And uh, so there's like, again, like what you mentioned with uh, American Honey, like if you read it on paper, like this could be a sensationalist. It could be like a movie of the week type movie. It could be really cheap and really kind of sleazy if they let it. But like Antonio Campos takes on this this period piece, this ensemble drama and not just drama. It's like it's blackly comedic at times. Like it's 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 funny. It's like heartbreaking it's just all these things and it's like he never settles on it being one thing it's not entirely just an indictment of like how the news got to be where it's at with its sort of like fatalistic sensationalism and it's uh you know kind of like night crawlery type tendencies of of overblowing you know like uh just just salacious things in the news just because that he, that's what they figure people want. Like it's not just an indictment of news or it's not just a sort of like melodrama about like a, a single person. It's all of these things mm. and it, it never settles on one enough to make it feel sort of predictable or like a slow kind of trudge towards a tragedy, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Knowing where it goes and, in the end is like actually makes this movie like more tense in a weird way. I don't know. Cause yeah. Cause you're, yeah. you're, you're, you haven't given up on the character. Cause right. like Rebecca Hall is, is Christine Chubbuck in the movie. And, uh, she's it's like, she's incredible, but like, that's not to sort of take anything away from the rest of the cast who is like, she has a, a friend that she works with in the news station played by Maria Dizia, who's like her kind of emotional arc through the movie really snuck up on me and like yeah. devastated by the end of the film. And it's just like, there's so much that has the markings of what could be an easy Oscar contender, you know? Cause it's just like, it's got this great ensemble. It's this great piece. It's just got all of these like incredible moments, you know, like performer moments that aren't showy and distractingly showy in the sense that it's like, here's the Oscar scene. It's just like they're, they genuinely come out of, uh, a crackling tension and it feels like this this movie could be a contender but it's like being put out into the world by uh you know orchard which is like it, you know they're they're putting out good stuff yeah. but it's just like they're i think they're they're small and it's just going to be a i think a struggle for someone that small to sort of have the reach that's necessary yeah i mean a you movie know, with, and, with this storyline too you know this inevitable uh dark conclusion you know which uh i I do want to say that like there is something really kind of crazy about how the way that Campos and everybody else in the film, like they find an ending that isn't expected, you know where it's going, but yeah. And you were getting at it with uh, what's her name? Maria Dizio, that, that actor. Yeah. It's like the way they, they close on her and it's such, it's just such a left turn that I was like, wow, how did they find that I wonder how they found that particular moment to end on, but it feels so right, not in a cheap way to like leave you with some sort of hope, but it sort of felt like that's what they were embedding throughout the film because her character plays a really important role in the story of Christine Chubbuck. It's at least the way the movie portrays it. Um, And yeah, I mean, I don't think we can even like, uh, oversell it or overstate it. Like it's a, this is a chilling story, you know, like you hear about it on the internet and it's like this woman shot herself on air. I mean, took a gun to her head and did that. And, um, there was a documentary that came out, uh, at least it's, I don't think it's on VOD yet, but it's gotten a brief or small theatrical release that came out also premiered at Sundance this year. Um, called Kate plays Christine, which is a sort of a pseudo documentary, a meta documentary about an actor, Caitlin shield, getting this role to play Christine Chubbuck. It just happened to come out around the same time as this, which is that weird sort of coincidence that happens every now and again. And, um, I, I'm surprised that this story hasn't been made into a movie or something else. And I'm kind of glad they haven't because both movies are like super interesting on their own. And also, speak and sort of argue with each other in some ways. But um, like I could see the people involved with Kate plays Christine thinking that Christine, the movie version with actors playing it out is maybe exploitative, but that's what was remarkable about what Campos does in this is that like, and you know, the performances by Rebecca Hall and, and everybody else is like, 
the movie never takes an easy way out or uh, overly judgmental to this character. It's mm-hmm. um, it always finds these interesting little avenues to go down. You know, not just that last shot, that last scene, but uh, throughout the movie. I mean, it's key to remember this is technically a biopic too, and it never plays like that kind of movie at all. Um, so yeah, I just, I, and I agree uh, that this is just another huge step forward for a director like Antonio Campos, who we've, we've been a fan of and the, the company he's a part of borderline films like uh, Josh Mon made James white last year was one of my favorite movies. Uh, one of your favorites too. Yeah. Um, these guys, yeah. Sean Durkin who made Martha Marcy May Marlene and South cliff um, this like mini series you can see on Netflix. Like these guys are just, filmmakers like true filmmakers that have really just been doing great work right from the start and uh yeah this this for campos does seem like a leap forward you know stepping up getting getting a bigger cast bigger budget period piece and really like thriving i think uh to bring this story to life instead of it just being a slow death march which it could have been um yeah. or overly sensationalistic it's not it's it's a it's a really curious uh, interesting movie that yeah I, I I don't think many people will go to see which which is a damn shame it might just be too hard for a small company like the orchard to um find an angle to get attention for something like this because on the surface I think it scares people away you know yeah so it's probably gonna be something that does get uh you know the notice it it'll get will be like academy screeners get sent out for it. Cause I, I think it does because of its performances yeah, because of like its scope and it's sort of attention to detail. It does deserve Oscar consideration mm-hmm. much like all of the movies we've discussed already. Totally. You know, like, <laughs> they, they all do. And like, we're luckily in that season where we can kind of compensate for, you know, what was a sort of really uh, exhausting summer of, <laughs> no, nothing, of nothing much. So I think that's how, unfortunately, people are going to, you know, like experience it. It's like, oh, I got this uh, Academy screener for Christine. Did they remake the John Carpenter movie? No, no, no. <laughs> you should you should watch it. Well, you should have gone to see it in the theater, but that's okay. Let me not begrudge you that. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And so let, before we get to everybody getting their Academy screeners, like, let me just say, go see it. Wherever it's playing, uh, I know it's opening at the Living Room Theaters in Portland when it comes out there next month. Yeah, um, November 11th. I, I saw it in a screening room, which had two other people in it. It was like a kind of appropriately <laughs> lonely way to experience this movie, you know? Right, right. <laughs> it is a, it is it, a lonely – that is a big part of this movie is loneliness for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, it, yeah, let's let, let's urge urge the folks. Yeah, the good, see it. Yes, see it as soon as you can. Yeah, totally, because it ain't going to be around uh, long. <laughs> no, I mean, hopefully it, it can still have its echoes around awards time, but who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, as much as um, I would love to see something like the Handmaiden get awards attention, it actually, uh, given the sort of, uh, you know, bizarre or just like random rules that the Academy has – only each country can only choose one movie to represent them as the foreign language nominee. And uh, South, oh. Korea, South Korea has not chosen the handmaiden actually as their, their pick. They, they went with the oh. new Kim Ji Woon movie, which is called age of shadows. And uh, it's right. probably not even going to really get released. I bet LA will get a small, uh, December. Yeah, I got, got it. It's already been playing. That one's got the the sort of South Korean nominee. At least that's the one they're putting out there. But, um, regardless, uh, God damn this movie. Where where do you start with the handmaiden? It's uh talk about propulsive and alive. Yeah. All right. So so Amazon Studios is putting out this movie. Um who've like they've they've kind of planted their their flag in terms of like they they picked a good crop of filmmakers that they believe in. They they put out Chirac by um Spike Lee. They f- help finance uh, Nicholas Winning Reference movie, much contested on this podcast, uh, Neon <laughs> Demon. And so, like, they're, I mean, as much as they're a streaming platform, they're, they're also, like, A24, they believe in the cinematic experience that the, these movies are cinema and deserve to be seen in, like, a, a big theater. Mm-hmm. And Park Chan-wook is, like, you know, he creates like a, a, not event type movies, but they feel eventful. They yeah. feel like they, they feel alive. And like you and I, I remember seeing Stoker and feeling, I don't know if we actually overheard people sort of bad mouthing it on the way out of the 
the press screening we saw, mm. you could sense that it was getting kind of like, that was, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and we were just like, well, that's his sensibility though. Like there's, there's something histrionic about it, but there's mm. also something genuinely kind of like threatening about it. Like there's, there, there's real genuine tension that isn't just camp in movies like old boy and uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and lady vengeance and so there, there's something over the top that, like, because it was in, in in the English language, I think people just wanted it to, like, make more logical sense when it had a kind of, like, nightmarish, almost giallo quality at times, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and there, there was something kind of, like, bug-eyed about it. And, like, I think that's what, if there was an appreciation to be had, like, you and I both appreciated that about the movie. And this one, like, I don't, like, right away, like, it's just, like, it's got the markings of like a, a type of film that's usually so incredibly composed, like a, a, a period piece. It takes place in like the they're driving cars, so it's the twentieth century. Yeah, very, it's the very, uh, very early. I think it's nineteen thirties, and it's like uh, a part yeah. of Korea that's actually occupied by Japan at this point. So yeah, but it's 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 very very costumed, very poised. And there could be something really dry and kind of detached about that. But right away, there's something so playful about how the film is framed, how it's shot, what happens in the frame. And like its sense of humor that there's like there, there's something that's like mischievous about the film that like that's so fucking that's thrilling. I don't know. Like the, the movie just like excited me right away. Yeah. And like it's it's his type like it's his playfulness which i don't know that i've really really seen from him outside of like stoker like there's you know i am i am a cyborg and that's okay i mean i think that was probably is that what it's called yeah have you seen that one because it's a it's a weird one even for him yeah so that that probably that's that's probably his closest to being goofy yeah oh yeah i mean that movie's straight up goofy absolutely it's it's actually quirky unfortunately at times too but yeah 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 Sure. Capital Q quirk. Um, so this, I don't know, this, this movie is just like, uh, all right, here's, here's, here's our word for the day. It's like, it's alive. <laughs> it's alive in this, in this, this way that usually the type of film that it is, it's a costumed period piece really kind of lulls me into a, a trance where I'm like, I don't care who though. Yeah. It was hard for you because you had to be so like proper. I'm sorry. <laughs> However, Age of Innocence bores me. So, like, <laughs> here, here's this movie that, like, is, like, it's dirty and it's, like, alive. And yeah. then at, at the sort of, like, turning point of the film, amidst all this sort of, like, darkly comedic mischief, it's a really sweet movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the, after it takes its sort of, like, dark kind of, like, uh, you know, like, playfully dark turns – and, you know, sort of erupts into like spasms of violence. Like there's there's a sweetness to this movie that like actually works. It makes it like more complicated after what you've experienced. It does. Yeah. It, yeah. Talk about, oh, my gosh, complicated. This is another movie that I feel like I have to go back and see again to just see how the naughty, twisty story actually all works. But it feels like it's perfectly thought out. Yeah. You know, like it's super convoluted and it has this really fun approach Um uh, another thing that's kind of common amongst all these films, but really stands out, I'd say, with Moonlight and this movie, The Handmaiden, is the structure of uh, it's three different parts of this uh, story told from three different perspectives. Yeah. So it's not exactly like I, I've I've seen Rashomon get thrown around to compare this as a comparison to this movie. I, I feel like that's maybe Wait, a little, mi- uh, yeah, a little misleading too, because this movie I didn't, I don't think is so much dealing with the level of like who's telling the truth or can you find an inherent truth. It's more like what what you know, how the story can be told in an exciting way by breaking it up from different POVs. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I just think Park Chan Wook has always been so good as a stylist like that. Like it's really fun to see him um, do that in a more narrative sense. Like his movies have a real visual like grandeur to them i think that's kind of what you were getting at they're not like mega big blockbuster movies but they have money behind them they are yeah yeah yeah, the handmaiden is a movie man it's like it's cool that it's getting released as a foreign film at this time of year when we're sort of um at least in this country and the and hollywood as an industry is celebrating themselves and the stuff they're putting out it's cool that 
this is getting however small of a release. We're going to put this in our big theater too um, at Cinema 21. We get it at the end of this month. And I can't wait for it to come out because it's such a deliriously entertaining movie. Like it is... Uh, it mixes all this melodramatic sort of over the top histrionic stuff that's that isn't a lot of Parks uh, work, but also like that really he always manages to make you laugh when you least expect it. Um, and yeah. there are moments in The Handmaiden where uh, like the best gag in the movie, uh, no pun intended, is when a character is trying to hang herself. There's a really great joke, like a sort of punch punctuation mark at the end of the scene. That's just great. And uh I don't know how he, he constantly keeps me on my toes. And I think this is another movie that shows an evolution for him, at least as a storyteller. Um, you know, visually, this movie is beautiful, as you'd expect from his work. But it has that sense of the new in the way that it kind of reinvigorates a period piece. And it isn't stuffy at all. It's it's the opposite. And like you said, it's dirty and really fetishizes things like objects and sex big time and uh explosively juicy fruit (laughs) explosively exactly yeah they're uh yeah that that bite of that peach that that character takes is just you feel it in this movie um yeah again i was in sort of like an you know a, a a lesser attended screening room and i was like howling laughing at that part <laughs> it was great yeah there there is uh there's also i think another uh element that uh, i'm realizing as we're talking about all four of these movies that <clears throat> All the movies we're talking about sort of represent something that is they could be fit into a type of movie that people are saying they want more of these days. You know, like we want more stories by female filmmakers. We want more interesting female characters on screen. We want stories from, you know, uh, uh, people of color as well. And what's great about The Handmaiden is, yeah, it's a foreign film. So it's already got a sort of... um, uh, otherness is the wrong word to go with the absolute wrong word, but it's, it's got something else about it that keeps it from just being the standard sort of movie that people are, you know, complaining that there are too much of is right. But it also is a, it's like a feminist sort of like, even though there's definitely a lot of like, um, you know, I, I, we have to admit there's a clear male gaze to the sex scenes. There's a lot of like lesbian erotic uh, scenes in this movie um, that I would say are like really, really hot like legitimately great <laughs> in the movie but uh yeah, they don't flinch like they're exactly they're definitely like they're it was just like oh i'm watching this during the day in a movie theater interesting <laughs> yeah right feel a little bit like travis bickle in the in the theater covering up this your is, eyes <laughs> i did yeah i did the the travis bickle let my, letting my fingers drift over my eyes <laughs> exactly well yeah but this one has this sort of uh, awesome like the way it all comes together in the end is is that thing where you're like, how did he do that again? Like, how did that filmmaker make it all work? It felt like so overly complicated and over and convoluted, but yet it all sort of has a clarity to it in the end. And I love the way that it's like it's an emotional finish of like, yeah, because like what what happens and the characters that make it out are sort of like what you're rooting for. But you, it just seems like there's no way it can work as it's going. And it makes this movie so satisfying. Um, and it's just um, God, it's a blast to watch. And it also is so, so cinematic. And, um, you know, while we do bemoan the fact that like, there hasn't been throughout this year, a lot to get excited about all of a sudden here we are lost and- in this episode with like too many yeah. enough, knowing that like, People who listen aren't going to be able to get to all of them probably in time. Exactly. And I feel like that's something that like we worry about ourselves. Like you and I have this compulsion to pay attention, to keep up, right? We know we wanted to see all these movies and here they come at the same time. And you're kind of just doing what you can to keep your head above water while also just living your life and earning an income, doing all the things you try to do. But yet, oh, I need to see all these movies. And now it's like, oh my God, they... Um, they just keep getting thrown one after the other at you and they're, they're not all going to last long in theaters, which is a shame, but I really do hope that it, it, it kind of points to the the time that we're at right now with movies. It's like, how is this going to get better? How can this change where we're not all having to like throw these movies against each other? There has to be more space or something that I hope can evolve from this sort of inundation of titles that we're getting right now. Cause yeah, it's even getting harder for you and me to keep up. And we're, we're kind of, we would fall into the diehard category for the most part. So, um, 
you know, great movies need the space to be found by people. And I, I hope that isn't lost, you know, the, in this march towards, you know, like, de, you know, democratization of making films. Like we still need, we still need a place for people to go see them. Right. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, what we have, we have like sort of champions in these, like in these companies that are putting these movies out that are sort of like planting their flag. They're like, all right, these movies, deserve their time in theater. They deserve to be sort of elbowing for space amongst like this, these types of movies that are becoming like kind of suffocating event movies, comic book movies, star Wars movies, um, just all of them, the Disneyification of like everything, like the, here are these distributors who are just like, these, these films are the ones that will last that like, once you don't want to watch any of those films that are number one at the box office ever again, these are the ones that you're going to be talking about and they deserve a chance. But like, it just seems like sometimes we churn through stuff and there's just too much content that it's just like, even the stuff that has like been uh, like testified on behalf of like, even it still has to like fight for air. And it's just like, so so you know we're we're asking you do your part go out, go out, go out and see it see go these damn see the do yourself a favor it's date night <clears throat> go go have a good date go go see one of these movies yeah skip doctor strange or any of that other shit like it'll always be there it's not yeah, going away always be there <laughs> You know, I'm, I you know, I know we that can be an easy target for us. You know, the Marvel movies and the Disney Disneyfication of stuff. It it is an easy target, but come on, like you you know, listener, whoever you are out there, you've fallen prey to this where you choose the easier option, the more well known option. But these four movies we talked about, maybe maybe Christine is the most difficult of them. But I think we've even laid out in the brief discussion about it that there's like a value to this movie, an entertainment value, believe it or not. But also like there's it's worth seeking these four movies out. So. So, yeah, make make the bold choice. Damn it. They're out there as as we've talking about four of them right here. So they're out there. Are you? <laughs> right, that's a good spot to wrap it up right there uh, with number uh, episode number 140 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, you can find all these uh, episodes, as I said at the top, at theplaylist.net. Uh, you can find us on the Playlist Podcast Network, the iTunes feed, which just look up on iTunes, the Playlist Podcast. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. You can find us there. Um, <clears throat> if you want to contact me and Joe specifically at Adjust Your Tracking, you can uh, find us on Facebook. You can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. There's, there's Twitter as well. Where do they find us there, Joe? Yeah, at adjust your track, um, you know, message us there. People, people respond to that apparently. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you totally sound like you know how Twitter works. Uh-huh, I do. <laughs> Not that I do, but you know, we're you in it together. Us, you can call us toll free at one eight hundred AYT. Never mind. AYT loves you. Uh, maybe AYT love. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love to spread around. Um, so yeah, we we thank uh you know we we thank our behind the scenes tech producer Drew Walner for all his help that he's always given this podcast. We thank uh, editor in chief of the playlist Rodrigo Perez for his support. Uh, but you know, first, foremost, and never last, although it comes last in the podcast. Joe, I'm so thankful to get to talk with you. Thanks, Eric. Mm-hmm.